Welcome, Warren first. I would like to welcome today, we have a guest speaker. We have the Reverend David Gladstone, and we are grateful to have him here with us this morning. He will be bringing the message to us. He served here at Warren First from 1997 to 2003 before serving in Port Huron. Then as an executive director of Lake Louise Christian Camp, and now retired and joined his grandsons, Theo and JD. So let's give a warm welcome to Reverend David Gladstone. Open our hearts and minds to the light of your word, read and preached. Amen. You may be seated. I will be reading from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7, the New Revised Standard Version. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention. You peoples from far away, the Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord, and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised aboard by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Nadine, thank you for your leadership this morning. And I'm going to go up here in this high and mighty pulpit. <laughs> it's great to be back with you. To see the changes that have come upon this church and to feel the vitality that is present here yet. Um, I said to you last time I was with you, uh, what a joy it was to come back. It still is that joy to sing with this wonderful choir under the leadership of Twyla Voschel, my good friend from choir camp for all those many, many years. Um, it's just a joy to be here, to see you all again. 
Um, I'm here today with my good friend Jane Hightoff from Port Huron. She's here. I hope you get a chance to meet her after the service today. It's good also to see all of these new faces and young people that are here in, in the church as well. It is a joy, and uh, I pray that, that what I have to say to you today will be uh, a blessing in your life. I want to go back to that Isaiah passage just briefly and lift up for you um, a brief excerpt from it. That portion um, that says this, you may have missed it, but it is the thing that jumped out at me in reading that Isaiah passage. Remember here that Isaiah is describing the call that God has placed upon him and how that translates into the responsibility for the people of Israel to be God's people. And he says this, speaking now as the voice of God spoken to him, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the, the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It is too light a thing. That is the phrase I will return to repeatedly throughout this message. I remember a classic Peanuts comic strip, and I was looking this week online trying to find it to see if I could reproduce it and hand it out to you, but I, I, I couldn't find it. I know that Terry saved this years ago and put it in a file somewhere, but I have moved so many times. It's probably sitting in a box in the basement of my home up at Lake Louise. But I'm not there in the wintertime anymore, you see, which is good. I don't like sitting alone in the North Woods under 200 inches of snow. <laughs> it's much better to be down here, close to my kids and my grandkids. But I remember this classic Peanuts comic strip. Let me describe it to you. It shows Linus, Lucy's brother, ready for a day of downhill skiing. So for this winter adventure, he picks a hill that is no bigger than that pitcher's mound that, that Charlie Brown uh, occupies all summer long. Okay, It's hardly longer than his skis. In panel after wordless panel, he skis from the top of that hill down to the bottom a length of approximately six inches. <laughs> then he sits down and he takes off his skis and he hoists them up upon his shoulder, moves around to the back of the hill or this mound and trudges up to the top puts the skis back on, stands up, and skis down six more inches. <laughs> panel after panel, he repeats this over and over again all day long. 
At the end of the day, he packs up his skis and he heads for home. And his sister Lucy meets him at the door and asks him, How was the skiing? And Linus replies, Eh, I can take it or leave it. (laughs) And there the strip ends. It's a remarkable expression of living an underwhelming life. Linus is exceedingly, exceedingly tentative in his approach to what should have been a grand adventure for him. His caution and his his willingness to settle for such a modest achievement of those six inches from the top of that pitcher's mound down to the bottom completely canceled out the thrill that it might have brought if he had been a little more adventuresome. And the real kicker is that when he... When he's asked about it by his sister Lucy, he feigns superiority, hinting that downhill skiing was too light a thing, too light a fire in his spirit. But he did it all day long, accepting that little six-inch progress down the hill as enough, satisfied about it. Struck me that even in my retirement, it seems to me that life in the church, life in the church in general now, I'm not talking about just this church, although I would talk about this in regards to every church I ever served. Life in the church can be a lot like skiing with Linus. God has called us to a great spiritual adventure, but we remain comfortable on the spiritual bunny hill. Everyone concerned about the declining membership in mainline uh, Christian churches should take note. Young adults do not dismiss the church because its doctrine is wrong. We argue all the time about doctrine and theology. And it receives a collective yawn from most young adults. Young adults dismiss the church because they perceive it to be shallow. Offering them no way to make a difference in the world with their lives. How tragic that is because we have a powerful calling message if we could only get it out there. Study after study indicates that this generation of young adults wants to do something, wants to make a difference with their lives. And the church is failing, not because it offers too much. It is failing because often it offers too little. This reality cuts across the entire theological and doctrinal spectrum. Growing churches offer people a way to live out a great spiritual adventure. That's why we go to Appalachia Service Project. That's why 
Twyla and myself and others have dedicated year after year after year at places like choir camp. Putting the invitation to an adventure out to young people. Declining churches are looking for people to keep the same old modest things going for just a little longer. Most churches exhibit a little bit of both. And that's normal. We are, after all, human beings. But whether we live or die in the near future depends upon our being willing to offer people a real adventure for God. God calls Isaiah to go out to the people of Israel And they think that the message from God is just that they are God's chosen people, their special ones, that God has come to bring comfort to their lives. But the word of God to Isaiah says, you might think that, but that would be way too little, too light a thing. I have not called you just to bring comfort to yourselves. I've called you to change the world. That's what the message is. People have asked me over the years since my retirement, of course, I retired twice, you know? I did. I I knew following Terry's passing that I needed a change. So I retired from pastoral ministry and took the job at Lake Louise as executive director of the Lake Louise Christian Community. That was a wonderful blessing in my life for three years. And then I got that, I I did the math, you know, that we all do regarding Social Security and pension and 401ks and and decided that uh, I could live very comfortably being a lot closer to my kids and my grandkids. And it was time to let somebody else change the world for a while. But people often asked me, as they talked to me about that big change of retirement for me. They said, how did the church change in the time of your service? Well, I would go back further, not just the time I served as a pastor or was in preparation for serving as a pastor. I would go back to the time of being raised in the church as a young high school kid. And I would say this, The biggest change I believe I saw in the church over all those years was the lowering of our expectations for ourselves. I could lift up examples. I could lift up examples. There used to be a thing called the UN Washington DC seminar. It went for 30 years in which we took young people from the Detroit and the West Michigan Annual Conference for a seminar, a serious seminar, to the United Nations and to Washington, D.C. They met with world leaders and discussed how Christian people might apply their faith to the real circumstances of the world. 
I went in 1966 as a junior in high school, and I observed firsthand the delegates at the United Nations from South Africa debating trying to justify apartheid in South Africa. And I saw and listened to other world leaders at the United Nations counter their argument. And I was profoundly changed. And then we went to Washington, D.C. We met with our senators and congressmen. And we got to ask them the questions we wanted as Christian young people. And that adventure is no longer offered in our churches. I'm not sure why. But it's one of those examples. At age 67, I have finally learned that the really good things in life, the things that matter and that are most of God, always demand of us more than we thought at the beginning and more than we might have ever thought ourselves capable of. And that especially applies when we meet those moments in everyone's life, those moments that everyone experiences in life when we suddenly find ourselves in a situation that we never wanted, never anticipated, and that changed our reality profoundly. The loss of a spouse. The loss of a job. Those moments in life where you look up and you see what is real in front of you and you say, how in the world did I get here and what does this demand of me now? This is not a modern learning in our lives. Isaiah encountered the same learning 2,700 years ago in the scripture that we have encountered this morning. After calling Isaiah to be a servant, the Lord declares, putting it in my own words, as I've said to you several times now, I did not call you just to enlighten the tribes of Israel. That would be too light a thing. I will give you as a light to all the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I think Yahweh was telling Isaiah that the call he has received is more important, deeper, and farther reaching than any of them had ever imagined. While Israel was thinking that they alone had a special claim on God's attention, God was busy trying to help them understand that God's work in the world will not be confined to only one particular people. This is an especially important message when we put it up against the popular notion of the prosperity gospel, which preaches, I can't for the life of me figure out why or where in the Bible they got this, 
but that preaches that if you love the Lord enough, you will be made rich. This is not the message we commonly associate, this message of too light a thing. This is not the, the message we commonly associate with the Hebrew scriptures. We're used to talking about the Hebrew people as the chosen ones of God. But here, God breaks through and says, well, yes, that, but a lot more. It is too light a thing to think that God's call is just to save one people. If I were to read to you that opening passage from 1 Corinthians that was assigned to the lectionary readings for this day as well, that great salutation by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, which I decided I'm not going to lift up and read specifically to you. But if I were, the Apostle Paul may well have had this Isaiah passage in mind as he took the gospel of Jesus Christ out from Palestine and into the wider Gentile world. Please remember that in the first century of Christianity, a great debate raged. That debate was whether the gospel of Jesus Christ was intended only for Jewish people or if it was intended for all of God's created people in the world. Paul is the one who said, you can stay here in Judea if you want. I'm going out into the wider world and tell people about the message of Jesus Christ. So you can hear in the salutation to the new Christians in the Greek city of Corinth this message. He speaks to them with love and affection, even though many of them coming to the gospel are not Jewish. Paul knew that it was too light a thing to confine the gospel just to Galilee and to Judah. Like Isaiah, he regarded his call as bigger than the assumed boundaries of tribe and religious heritage. But lest we be too harsh on the community of the first century Jews, Paul had the same message for the new Christian community around Corinth. In that community, there were those who claimed a spiritual superiority for themselves and felt that they alone deserved God's love and attention. But God's love and attention belongs to all of God's creation. At the end of this life, if someone asked me how it was living as a Christian disciple, I want to tell them that it was an exciting adventure beyond my wildest imagination. I want to tell them that it was challenging, frightening, thrilling, and totally worth every moment. Linus replied to Lucy, eh, I can take it or leave it, is not a testimony of faith. 
So I stand before you and I offer these thoughts on that yearly time when we honor the memory and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. In thinking of Dr. King, it is tempting to think of his impact upon history as limited to the integration of African Americans into the mainstream of American life and the issues of Jim Crow laws and segregation. And by the way, if you have not seen Hidden Figures, go see it. You know, from the perspective of 50 years later, we look back on the Jim Crow laws and the segregation of, of American life, and, and you look at it in this movie, the depiction of it in this movie, and you go, what a stupid way to live. But there it is, go see it. We tend to think of, of Dr. King's contributions to American life as, as limited to that integration of African Americans into mainstream American life, knocking down, the knocking down of racial barriers. Those accomplishments, though incomplete, are real. But they do not represent the totality and the depth of his message. If we were to limit his thought and his call to us to just that, it would be, as Isaiah said, too light a thing. Dr. King did not just live for the sake of integration. He lived as a light to this nation, and he called every one of us to examine our hearts in order that America might finally fulfill the highest ideals upon which it was founded. And that America might finally overcome the dark legacy of slavery and segregation that we all still struggle with and that in fact it remains to be seen if we are up to this task. So my sisters and brothers, how great to be back with you again today to see the vitality that is still present in this church to sing with the choir, to see the joy on your faces, to see the new people that are here and the young people that are here. I'm a little shocked by how you all have changed when I have not changed at all. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you this day, the saving message of Jesus the Christ is not just a private comfort to each of us. That would be too light a thing. We have been called to live like Christ 
in order that the world might be changed. We have been called to keep it up and to pass it on to following generations in order that kings and rulers might notice and that the world will finally begin to approach the place of justice and peace that God intended. It is to this that we are called. God has chosen us, that is true. To think otherwise would be too light a thing. Thanks be to God.